The big difference is the FSA is use it or lose it. Welcome to Unemployable University. I'm your host, Joshua Lapidus, and today we're talking to the co-founder of Opolis, Eddie Pastor, about health savings accounts and flexible spending accounts. Those are HSAs and FSAs for freelancers and independent workers. Over the course of this episode, we cover the difference between HSA and FSA accounts, how they work and who can use them, the tax advantages, HSA versus FSA strategies, how can the self-employed access FSAs and HSAs, and if you wait until the end of the episode, you'll learn how Opolis is helping independent workers maximize their health savings and minimize costs. Eddie, I'd really like to know your why. Why do you spend so much time and effort in making it so that unemployables can have it a little bit easier. The reason I've spent so much energy on trying to make an independent worker's life easier is because I really obsess over this idea of balancing the power of the worker and the project. I think there should be a very strong balance there. I'm very passionate that when someone owns their own business, they have the confidence and they have the pride in their work that benefits both them and the project. And they have the ability to work with who they want, where they want potentially, and even when they want, as long as they're delivering those results. So for me, I have very close friends that live in this world and I'm seeing the trends, just it's happening anyway. More and more folks are wanting to participate in this gig economy or in this economy where they are self-sovereign. And in a sense, we are decentralizing employment. And that's what keeps me going. Decentralizing employment. I love to hear it. I see on the website, there's an FSA and an HSA eligible plan. What is the difference between an FSA and an HSA? So the big difference is the FSA is use it or lose it. And the other thing to note about the FSA is that if you have an S-Corp, you are not allowed to receive the tax treatment of the FSA, so it's really not offered. The HSA is not use it or lose it. It rolls over. So you, whatever you're putting into it, you know that you'll have it until you need it. Got it. And both the FSA and the HSA, I'm going to just get a debit card and I can swipe that for pharmaceuticals, copays, other medical expenses. Yeah, or it's really easy to just log in to Health Equity, which is where you can view your, your savings accounts and just submit a claim and then get reimbursed directly, direct deposit to your account, or they'll even mail you. Oh, neat. Can I use the HSA and FSA funds on the dental and or vision plans? So you can use your FSA or HSA funds on anything that's a qualifying health expense and almost always vision related items and dental related items are qualified, but you can do a quick search on that just to make sure. If somebody has an FSA or an HSA from a previous employer, is that compatible? Can I keep using that? What, what am I supposed to do? So an FSA is use it or lose it. And part of that is you'll lose it if you leave your employer. So you can't roll over any FSAs. The HSA option, however, follows you and it's not use it or lose it. It rolls over every year. And then if you leave an employer, for example, you still have access to those funds. Usually they're with an alternative provider, not the one we use, which is health equity. Sometimes that is. And you have the choice of either having a separate login and to access those funds and to and to receive reimbursements through that that old platform or you you can fill out some forms and you can get that money deposited and consolidated into the one that you're using with Opolis. It's really up to you. Same that is the same with the 401k as well. Are there any tax advantages? Why wouldn't I just pay for my medical expenses up front? 
the reason is because you would not be paying taxes on, on those funds. So you're setting that money aside before income tax kicks in. So it's pre-tax. If you are just using your net income to pay for medical expenses, you would will have already paid tax on that gross income, right? So that's after paying federal income tax, state income tax, and whatever other taxes. It can be 35 to 40% of the favorability. So you're taking, you're taking the funds from my LLC S-Corp and through the paycheck process, you're diverting part of my paycheck into this HSA fund. Yeah, we're what we call withholding whatever you tell, whatever you instruct us to, to withhold before we apply taxes. So if your your paycheck starts at like five thousand dollars, and you have five hundred dollars a month going to HSA, we're going to take that five hundred dollars out first, and then tax forty five hundred. And then put that $500 into a health savings account and you will never have to pay income tax on that. Ah, okay. Let's say I'm in therapy, then I would want to increase or max the HSA contributions so that I'm able to pay for that inside of both my health plan, whatever's covered, and then whatever's not covered out of my HSA funds so that I'm, I'm kind of getting a more favorable tax rate on this. Yeah. One of the good things about the HSA option is that you can change the amount that you're contributing to it throughout the year. Oh, cool. So you, we do ask you up front, how much do you want to contribute for the year? And we'll start those withholdings. But at any time you can say, hey, I actually want to contribute $1,000 this time, or I want to increase it to 1,000 monthly, and, and we can make that happen. FSA, you don't have that flexibility. Got it. You have to state it up front and you have to fund it up front because you do have access to the full year at that time. Mm. But again, that only... That FSAs are only allowed for C-Corps that elect a copay plan. And I don't think this one is as common in the commons because with a traditional employer, it's kind of a large, like someone else is, is putting that money into the FSA. But with the Oculus self-employment setup, you're funding it yourself. So you're putting your own money into the FSA up front. That's right. Yeah, that, that's the major difference is sometimes large employers will set a certain amount of money aside and that, and the company will contribute to someone's FSA and it's use it or lose it for that, for that individual. Got it. If you're an independent worker, obviously you don't, you don't have those sorts of perks from a company, which is why you bake in a higher charge for your hourly rate. And this is something we can get into as well is, is projects expect to pay more for independent workers because they're not employing them and covering these employer costs. So naturally the hourly rate is going to be higher. So when you are maybe going out for the first time as an independent worker, this is something you really need to think through is what is my fair hourly rate considering that companies usually pay these employer taxes, they subsidize health insurance. Sometimes they do FSA contributions or HSA contributions, bake that into your rate and you would still be competitive so because it's, it's just how the market works. I know that we can't put an exact number on it because all of this varies state by state, but I've heard one of our colleagues will refer to this as a self-sovereignty fee. Is there a recommended self-sovereignty fee? Yeah, I don't know that I would put that in an agreement necessarily with a project, but if you were explaining why you're billing your certain rate, you would explain, well, this is my additional cost of owning my own business and, and coming to you as a contractor, as a consultant, right? And so if you want to call it a self-sovereign fee, that's okay. Think of the self-sovereign fee as what would traditionally be called the burden for the employer to employ you. And on average, you're going to have about 10 to 11% of just employer taxes. 
So mark up your bill rate by at least that. In addition to that, typically a lot of the tech companies especially will subsidize almost all, if not all of the healthcare. And so if on average that ends up being somewhere middle of the road, like $600 between when you're thinking about am I employee only or do I have a family? Most companies are doing $600 to $1,000 a month of subsidies, just throwing out numbers. Bake that into your, your bill rate as well. 11% plus the cost of the healthcare, plus other perks that they would usually offer you, like 401k potentially, right? And so matching. that might be another 4%. Matching, 4%. PTO, right? And, and vacation, you might want to add another 5% for that. So generally, I think 35, 40% is, is definitely reasonable, depending on what project you're working with. Wow. Yeah. All right. 30 to 40%. All right, Eddie, I would like to come back as a contractor. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, now, this is what consultants need to be able to defend is those are costs that the company would have anyway. Right. Right. And so a, a lot of employees don't understand that there, it's not just their salary that, that the company is funding. When you look at the profit and loss statement for the cost of, of all things related to payroll, yeah, you have wages, but then there's a whole nother line item usually on a profit and loss statement that says, the burden of the benefits, right? Of, of all of the, the employer taxes, as well as the subsidies for healthcare, yeah. as well as the PTO, like when you're not working, you're still getting paid. That's an extra cost as well as 401k match and everything else. And so it, it really isn't that you're making more, it's that you're making the same. And you're, you're passing, now, you're passing some of those expenses back to the employer. Back back to the company. And, and so then the company says, well, why, maybe the company says, well, why would I not want to just make you a, a W-2 employee then? To which your response could be, first of all, I take great pride in my work as a, as a consultant and as an owner, and you're going to get the best out of me. And number two, why even have the headache and hassle of having to deal with my payroll compliance? I've got that covered. My payroll compliance is good. I'll come yeah. to you as a vendor. I'm a business working with a business. This is a good, good situation. It's a win-win. And it comes back down to that balance of power that I talked about earlier. Now there's that, that true balance of power between worker and project. So then when you're negotiating these B2B contracts, it's more about the statement of work and the quality of your work and the employer is not able to use, well, benefits as like part of this hand up on you. Yeah, that's right. I, I think there's a trade-off there in the power structure, right? Is they will give you these perks and these benefits to, to keep you retained as or to, to attract you as talent, but there's a mindset and just a culture that, okay, now you're their employee and you are coming to work and you're doing the grind and you work for them and that's how it, how it is. And that's kind of where it stops. So take your PTO and your benefits and shut up. And <laughs> it maybe it's more subtle than that, right? I'm exaggerating. Oh, it's, it's much more, more subtle. subtle. Yeah. It's much more subtle, but it's there. But it's there. And when you come as, hey, look, I, I'm working with you as a business. You're engaging me as a consultant, as a contracting company. I'm I'm coming. And I'm showing up to deliver. I'm going to do well, but I'm going to have a little bit more flexibility. Maybe I'm going to get the work done. I'm going to get it done when when I need to get it done. Not to say that I'm going to try to cheat you or I'm going to not work a reasonable work week. But it just there's a there's a subtle difference. There's an empowerment that comes with being a self sovereign worker and pride in your work. And, and usually there's upside in terms of usually a little bit more take home because you can mark it up a little bit more usually and more flexibility. You can work with multiple projects 
you can leave a project more seamlessly and easily if you're not satisfied with it. But again, I don't want to want to highlight that it's this imbalance again. And now it's all about me, the worker, um, yeah. because I still own my company. I still got to show up and I still got to deliver and make my client happy. Yeah. Well, and, and as somebody who's self-sovereign, like companies will go through these roller coaster periods of, especially in tech, like I need you 40, 50 hours on this sprint, but I'm only going to need you 10 on the next one. And maybe I'll need you in the future. And when you change the dynamic from this, employer, employee, I don't need you, so I have to get rid of you. If you're on this services agreement, you can just engage somebody for 40 hours and then 10 hours and then 10 hours and then 20 and whatever. And you don't need to change the employment status to maintain the relationship. That's right. And someone first starting out as an independent worker, that might be a learning curve of, okay, how do I make sure I have a pipeline of projects so that if one of my projects gets dialed back to 20 hours, where do I go to find my extra sources of income and work different projects at once simultaneously or, or pull those levers? And But in the digital age, there's so many ways to find work, remote.com, yeah. Upwork, Fiverr, I mean, all of, these, all of these places, but there's job boards galore. That's part of the coming to be a true professional and, and self-sovereign worker and consultant yeah. is a pipeline of clients. And one of the threads I've been pulling on lately and in the talks I've been giving is is exactly that, is in crypto and Web3, we talk about decentralization and how much decentralization matters. And people point to like Bitcoin as being a sufficiently decentralized network. Ethereum is a sufficiently decentralized network. But then you point to things like Solana and they get a lot of flack for not being sufficiently decentralized. Your employment should be considered the same way. Are you sufficiently decentralized? So if your only source of income is coming from one place, you're not. You're still being tethered to this other either organization, employer or something as a centralization factor. And so you as a professional freelancer need to have multiple streams of income to have that security and stability. Yeah, or at least it on your mind, right? And have a plan for a pipeline or a... a place to go if something, you know, you did need to do even a three weeks project or something. That's where you could go to these, these digital job boards and things, and maybe just do quick, quick assignments and things. Yeah. But the ideal situation is you have, you have built up a, a list of clients essentially, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you're in demand and you're saying no, right? I'm, I'm too busy. I can't help you, but I'll let you know if I, if I can. And, and we do see that. So Eddie, there's one more question about HSA, FSA. Generally speaking, how does somebody who is self-employed or an independent worker or freelancer access an HSA or an FSA account? So contributing to an FSA or HSA through Opolis is very easy. When you go through your onboarding, you let us know how much you want to contribute, and then we withhold it from your paycheck and deposit it into the savings account that only you have access to. So then you log into a, a provider that we use to access those funds, submit reimbursements, and, and get refunded for any medical expenses that you have. Cool. So as part of the paycheck process, I'm going to get a W-2 in January. Am I able to use this paperwork to try to get a house or a car or rent an apartment? Yeah. So with this employment arrangement, the employer of record is the employment commons. And the employment commons is issuing the W-2 at the end of the year, as well as issuing you semi-monthly pay stubs. So when you go and you seek a loan, what does the lender typically ask for? Your pay stubs, prior year W-2s, and sometimes a verification of employment. 
And we get those requests and we verify income and things like that to lenders. And so it, it is a lot easier. Cool. So one of the things that freelancers and self-employed people have to worry about is this proof of income. And it sounds like Opolis is solving this problem. Well, lenders, if you think about what an underwriter is looking for is something that really looks like a paycheck and a source of income that is, that is more like an employment relationship. So when you join the Opolis Commons, you have those things. You have a paycheck, you have consistent salary. You have to, in order to, to maintain benefits and everything on services with us, you have to have a fixed salary. So you have that. You have the documentation to prove that you have that, and you, and you will have the W-2 to prove it as well. Very cool. Till next time, I'm your host, Joshua Lapidus, a founding steward of Opolis, co-founder of SporkDAO, professional buff corn wrangler, and tenured professor here at Unemployable University. 